Welcome to Dig Deep. Last week, I mentioned Dr. Brian Wanzink, who is a professor at Cornell and author of the book Mindless Eating, and he has devoted his life to the study of what humans eat, why we eat the way that we do, and he has one particular experiment that's probably his most famous experiment, and it's known as the Bottomless Soup Bowl Experiment. He, along with some undergraduate students of his, developed this test where they would have a table with two bowls of soup, and they would invite two subjects in to eat. Well, one bowl was a normal bowl of soup that, of course, would run out if you got to the bottom of it. The other one had some plastic insulated tubing attached to the bottom of the bowl from under the table that was then attached to a larger pot of soup. And as the subject ate, the pot would slowly and unnoticeably refill that subject's soup bowl, making it a bottomless bowl of soup. What they found through this study was really interesting. They would ask people questions about how full they were after their time eating. They would have 20 minutes to eat. And the subjects on both sides, on the bottomless soup bowl and the regular soup bowl, reported virtually the exact same level of fullness or satisfaction after 20 minutes of eating soup. What's interesting is that the bottomless soup bowl eaters ate twice as much soup as the people with the bowl that ran out of soup eventually. And Dr. Wanzink concludes that this reveals a scary trend that we as humans really don't measure our fullness or our satisfaction based on our stomachs at all. He says we eat more with our eyes than we do with our stomachs. We have created a picture of the world around us that determines in our minds when we are full, when we are satisfied, and it has very little to do with our actual stomachs and our actual hunger being satisfied. And so today, as we conclude this series, The Hungry Heart, we're going to be reading from the book of John, chapter 6, where Jesus hits the bullseye of what our hearts are truly hungry for and where we can satisfy that hunger. So in John chapter 6, Jesus is traveling around the region and there is a crowd of people that is following him. He has become known in the region for his healing of sick people and other miracles, and so people were starting to follow him. And in verse 5, we pick up where Jesus saw the huge crowd of people coming to look for him, and turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied in verse 7, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, there's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? See, there's a math problem here. The disciples are being presented with a math problem, and Philip is thinking about it in financial terms. He immediately calculates how many months of a normal person's salary it would take to buy enough food to feed this crowd. And then there's Andrew, who's thinking about it in terms of natural resources. He looks around and says, okay, well, what do we have? We've only got five barley loaves and two small fish. And he thinks, eh, does not compute. There's no way that's going to feed this huge crowd. Jesus is presenting them with a question. Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? The people are hungry. How can we feed them? And the disciples do exactly what you and I would do. 
they use their experience and their understanding of the natural world to, to try to solve that problem. They see the world through the eyes of math and the eyes of logic. A plus B equals C. We have a problem. This crowd is hungry, and we need to find the C, the solution. And so understandably, the disciples conclude that there is no obvious, clear solution. Five little loaves of bread and two small fish simply will not feed a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children. Sorry, Jesus, it just does not compute. And you and I, I believe, do the same thing. And we've even done it a little bit in this series. We see a problem in our life. There's a hunger in our hearts. And what we're so tempted to do is scan through our experiences thus far in life or our understanding of the natural world to try to find a solution. And we think, if I can just get A and B, then I will have C. And whatever that C is, happiness, peace of mind, a sense of purpose, a feeling of being truly loved, deep joy, satisfaction. We see a need and we immediately look at the world around us and use our understanding of it to try to acquire the A and B that we think will satisfy that hunger. The problem is, just like the disciples, we're often faced with harsh realities that make us step back and say, well, I guess I just can't have the C that I'm looking for because there's not enough A and there certainly isn't any B in my life. And so I guess I'll never have C. We can even do this in the opposite way. We can identify some things that we've tried that aren't working. Maybe they seemed like they would give us life, but they are actually taking life from us. This is what we talked about week one with spiritual Cheetos. And we say, okay, well, that doesn't work. So I'm going to remove that from the equation. But when we remove it, if we look closely, we can see ourselves gravitating toward something else to plug into the equation, hoping that it will bring us satisfaction. I've seen something really interesting in my life these past few weeks. I challenged us week one to consider doing a cleanse of one of those things that we've tried and we thought maybe it would satisfy our hearts in some way, but it's not working. And I suggested social media as one of those things that offers us some level of satisfaction and it leaves us actually worse than it found us a lot of the time. So these past few weeks, I have drastically scaled back my use of social media. So normally, in a normal day, I would load some form of social media up on my phone several times a day without even thinking about it and just scroll through. But what I found is that by removing those apps, I have noticed a really weird pattern emerge in my life. You want to guess what two apps I've opened the most in place of those social media check-ins that I would normally do, the apps that I open, almost as if on autopilot, are my calendar and the weather. And you might be thinking, oh, Jess, that's so sad. How pathetically boring of you. But it's not just sad and boring. I mean, it is sad and boring, but God has also been using it to show me something. For me, I'm realizing I glean a lot of my peace and satisfaction in life from my plans. My plans. 
from the mundane to the exciting, I tend to live for the next thing. I love making plans. I like to think I'm really awesome at making killer plans. And my plan, my calendar, even something as stupid as checking in on the weather to think through how it'll affect my plans is part of my equation for happiness, for a sense of purpose, for peace of mind. My plans. And just like the disciples, without even realizing it, I see the world through a series of math equations. Okay, as long as I've got A and B, then it equals C. It just does, and I'll be happy. I'll be satisfied. I am hungry. I have a hungry heart, and I slot all different kinds of things into my equation to try to satisfy that hunger. And Jesus turns to his disciples, and he's turning to you and me, and he says, you want to see some math? I'll show you some math. In verse 10, he says, tell everyone to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish. And they all ate as much as they wanted. After everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left over by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. They all ate as much as they wanted. And everyone was full. Jesus is showing the people here, look, I am the bottomless soup bowl. You can eat until you are truly full and there will still be leftovers. I wish I could have been in the circle when the disciples came back from collecting the leftovers. Jesus says to them, go collect the leftovers. And they all come back with a basket full to the brim. And they're standing in the circle, the circle where they had just been scratching their heads with the question of how could we possibly feed these people? And now their arms are filled to capacity with leftovers. I don't think it's a mistake that there were exactly 12 baskets full left over, one per disciple, as if Jesus is saying, you wanted math, that's some good math. You brought me five little loaves and two small fish, and now each of you has as much as you can carry in the leftovers, and everyone is full and satisfied. Well, we're going to fast forward in the story. Jesus slips away from the crowd, and the disciples go looking for him later that evening, and when they can't find him, they get in their boat to go look for him on the other side. And that evening is when Jesus walks on the water to his disciples. And we don't have time to cover all that in this episode, but basically, Jesus is showing his disciples, you want some physics? I'll show you some physics. And then the next day, the crowd realizes that Jesus and his disciples are gone. They see that their one boat is gone, and so they conclude they must have gone over to the other side. And when boats arrive, they get in the boats and travel to go look for him. And when they found him, in verse 25, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. 
For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Jesus says, don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. He's saying your math equation is broken because you know you're hungry. You know that your heart is hungry. That's why you're following me. But you're looking for the wrong thing. You long for love and for peace and for purpose, but you have a broken perception of what those things really mean, what they really look like. He's saying you're eating with your eyes and you'll never really be satisfied. Philip Yancey, in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says we grow up hungry for love and in ways so deep as to remain unexpressed, we long for our maker to love us. And that's the core of it. We know that our hearts are hungry, but it runs even deeper in us than we understand. And we fail to see so often that the thing that we're really longing for is something that goes beyond this world, something that's deeper and richer than anything we could ever experience in this life. And Jesus is saying, look, it's not about the bread and the fish. It's about me and the eternal life that I'm offering you. You could imagine Jesus escorting you into a room where there's two tables, one with a bowl that will always run out, You will always be hungry again and again. A great meal that you ate last week isn't going to do you much good today. And the other table has a bowl that will never run out. It offers you eternal life. And Jesus is saying, when I gave you bread and fish, it was a picture of something bigger. Well, the people, the crowd, are struggling to understand. It doesn't compute. It doesn't line up with what they understand of the world. And so they ask him in verse 28, what should we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. And this is clearly a puzzle that the people struggle to understand because it does not line up with any of their experience. This is the message of grace. Jesus is saying your hearts are hungry and what they're really hungry for is my love. And I am here to give it to you, to demonstrate God's love for you and to offer you grace. You don't have to work for it. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to obey the law with excellence. You place your faith in me and you will receive the greatest gift, the gift that your heart is really longing for, a loving relationship with me that will last for all of eternity. Yes, you crave peace and joy and purpose in this life, but all of those things are just extensions of what you really need, what you're really hungry for, and that's a relationship with me through grace forever. Jesus is saying, I am enough. And the people are trying to understand. They're trying to hang on. So they say, 
Well, show us a miraculous sign then if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And I imagine Jesus saying here, aha, that's it. That's it. You're getting right to the heart of the issue. You credit Moses with the manna. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. He's pointing out your mortal minds are always trying to attach the divine to the physical. You're trying to find things in this life that you can hold on to tangibly that will give you satisfaction. But Moses didn't satisfy your hunger. God did. He's the one who made the manna. I met a girl this past year who was getting ready to get married, and I asked who was going to be marrying them, who's going to be officiating the ceremony, and she said she was very sad to report that she wasn't sure yet because she had always assumed that her youth pastor growing up would officiate her wedding ceremony someday. But her youth pastor had recently been arrested and convicted and sentenced to prison for an inappropriate relationship with a student in the youth group. And she was devastated by the news and trying to figure out what they were going to do moving forward as it related to their wedding. But she went on to say that so many of the people that she grew up with in youth group who looked to this man as a great teacher and someone wise, someone that they admired and respected. And she said some of her friends who had been baptized by this guy questioned whether their baptism was genuine, whether they needed to be rebaptized. A lot of them questioned their involvement in church and even their faith completely because of how betrayed they felt by this leader that they trusted. And now I can't imagine the pain that those young people must have felt from that betrayal and what a deep, painful betrayal of trust. But the story that she told reminded me of the tendency in all of us to attach our faith to something tangible, something or someone that we can see. And a great test for us to ask ourselves this question, what is the thing in your life that if it was taken away, your faith would be rocked? A loss of trust in a Christian leader that you respected and followed? The loss of a loved one? your next paycheck, your health, your plans for the future. I know that I have looked to every single one of those things to be a part of my equation for satisfying the hunger of my heart. And Jesus is saying, try, just try to take your eyes off of those things. They are all temporary. And then he drills a little deeper to the core of the issue and he exposes our hunger even further. He says, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. 
And Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. And this statement that he makes causes major ripples through the crowd. Because he doesn't say, I am like the bread. He doesn't say, I am the one who can give you the bread. He says, I am the bread of life. And the phrase, I am, to the Jews, to the crowd listening to these teachings from Jesus, those words were incredibly offensive. Those were words that God the Father, that Yahweh reserved for himself. When Moses has the encounter with God through the burning bush and God sends him and says, go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And Moses says, who should I say sent me? God says, I am. Tell them I am has sent you. I am was a name that was reserved for God himself. And Jesus is saying here, I am the bread of life. But he doesn't stop there. In the book of John, in chapter 9, when he heals a blind man, he says, I am the light. In chapter 10, he says, I am the door. And again in chapter 10, he says, I am the good shepherd. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. In chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus says to the crowd, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And the people are deeply, deeply offended and confused because Jesus is claiming divinity. In verse 47, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Jesus is pointing out all those things in your life that give you a sense of peace or purpose, even great things, great gifts from God to you. They're all going to pass away. Don't stake your life on those things. Jesus says in verse 50, anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. And in verse 58, he says, I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna but will live forever. He's saying, I'm not just the one who can give you the bread or point you to the bread. I myself am the bread. And he knows that it's hard for us, but he says, try to take your eyes off the physical and put them on the eternal. Jesus proved to the people that he was not bound by the natural and physical laws of this world. He could take food and multiply it. He could heal the sick. He could even raise dead people back to life. And he's saying, what you're really hungry for is something that only I can give you. I am the bottomless bowl. The life that I offer you is the one 
beyond this world, the one where there will be no more sickness or pain, no more tears and no more death. And that is the life that I'm offering you. And it would be such a shame if we were to go through this whole series and miss this. Because here's the thing, following Jesus's teachings will make your life better. They will. They will lead to a more satisfying life. They will satisfy some of the hungers of your heart, just if you just apply his basic teachings to your life. If you apply his teaching that you should love others as you want to be loved, you will have the best marriage you could possibly have. If you apply his teaching that it is more blessed to give than to receive, you will live more satisfied with your earthly possessions and you will enjoy generosity and satisfaction with your worldly possessions. If you apply his teaching that humility and service are what lead to honor, then you will become a person that people admire and respect instead of an arrogant jerk that people can't stand to be around. But the people came looking for him and he says to them with sadness, you're looking for me because I fed you physical food. And he says in verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And the sad thing in this story is that the equation just doesn't compute for most of the crowd. And a bunch of people turn and walk away. They had just witnessed a miracle. They tasted food that had been blessed and miraculously replicated by the God of the universe, and they walked away. And at that point, Jesus turned to his disciples and asked them, are you also going to leave? And Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. And so as we conclude this series, I want to challenge you today. If you're listening and you've never really asked this question, the question you need to answer is who is Jesus really? Because you can go through this life and try all the foods in the buffet line of life. You can try every possible equation to try to solve the problem of your hungry heart, but they will not satisfy. And Peter says it so simply, Lord, to whom would we go? We've tried everything else and nothing satisfies. You have the words that give eternal life. And so if you've never answered that question for yourself, who is Jesus, really? I want to challenge you to read through the Gospel of John and take special notice of those phrases that I mentioned earlier where Jesus says of himself, I am. Make note of those and then seek to answer the question, who do I believe Jesus really is? And for all of us listening today, I want to challenge each of us to look at our equations. Look at your life. What are you trying to achieve? What are you trying to acquire? What are you trying to adjust in your life to satisfy your hungry heart? 
because I believe God wants us to daily take our eyes off some of the things of this world, the perishable food that will all fade away someday, and focus our eyes on the eternal, the eternal life that only Jesus can give us. Because Philip Yancey is right. The hunger that you and I feel is a deep desire to be loved by our maker. And the good news of the gospel is that that hunger is satisfied by Jesus, the bread of life, who didn't say, I'm the one who gives bread. I'm the one who shows you where to find the bread. He said, I am the bread, my very flesh that I'm giving up for you is the bread of life. It's the grace that will give you what you're really longing for, a restored relationship with God that outlasts this life. It lasts for all of eternity. He is the one who can truly satisfy. So I want to thank you for being here for this series. I hope that it's been beneficial to you. As a reminder, you can find discussion questions for all of the episodes in this series in the show notes of each of those episodes on my website, jessalston.com. I hope that those are a useful resource to you as you move forward and grow closer to God. So thanks so much for being here. There'll be no new episode next week, but we'll be back again in two weeks. We hope to see you then. And until then, remember to dig deep.